Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Need to Nerd podcast. I'm your host, Spencer, and I'm joined by my co-host, a man who did not cry when Ash died in Pokemon the first movie, Wes Singleton. Uh, well, I certainly wasn't a man when I watched it the first time. Um, I'm just but... saying, you didn't, you didn't cry. How do you know? I just I'm letting the listeners know, West. I'm speaking your truth. Were you there? <laughs> uh, I, it's true that I have cried more for other petrifications than that. <laughs> it's like uh, it's the line from you should have dropped the uh, the line from Monty Python and adjusted it a little bit. He gets better. <laughs> <laughs> With that being said, this week we won't be talking about, well, maybe we'll be talking about Pokemon. I actually don't know what's on West's list, but uh, we, we thought we'd do something a little bit more fun, uh, you know, than, you know, we've been doing those review episodes, you know, we did all of Avatar, we did Jumon the Movie, and so I just wanted to kind of, you know, have something a little bit more laid back this week, West. So uh, we're going to do our, so these are our people, top two uh, underrated video games or underrated games in specific categories. And the categories that we have are board game or tabletop video games and party games. And, uh, it's going to, I think it'll be fun. If you want to join this a discussion about this, uh, when we post this episode, I'll be sure to post uh, some of this in our discord. Uh, and the link is in the description here on the, whether you're on the YouTube channel or you're listening to the podcast, uh, and you can join the discord. It's, we have people talking about magic. We have, uh, we, had uh, I, I even posted a Smash Bros. Uh, tier list in there. Uh, people talking about Star Wars. West is of some opinion that C-3PO has to move in a certain way. You can go tell him why he's wrong. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's there's fun discussions going on in there, and you, you can check it out. With that being said, should we get started, West? Absolutely. Okay, I actually don't know if I have your list, but you've seen mine. Uh, your, my list is below yours in the show notes. Oh, okay, uh, okay. I just didn't look because I'm a, I'm a, I'm cool like that. But yeah. let, let, let's start with board game tabletop. Um, and I'm gonna, good. I'm gonna throw one out there that uh, I think people have played on their Windows XP more than they've played it uh, in <laughs> real life, uh, and that's Othello. Uh, West, have you played Othello in your life? Uh, see, I've definitely played Othello far more as a board game than on a game. I've never I had love it. Computer, I've only ever played on night. I've only ever uh, been bored enough to play uh, built-in games on uh, Microsoft operating system on ninety-seven. So it was not an option ah, yet. Got it. Got it. Um, but yeah, I th- I think Othello is a great game. Um, what? It might not be something that everyone's familiar with, though, Spencer. Yeah. So for those who don't know, that's Reversi, I think, is what it's how it's spelled or called on the Windows devices. I'm not. I don't remember. I, I have question marks in the show notes about this. Uh, something I maybe should have looked up. But with that being said, it is a game where uh, it's a board with a grid, and then eat, uh, you have black. You have pieces that on one side are black and one side are white, uh, and you try and get lines whether uh, uh, to flip over the opposing pieces to get the most spaces um, on your side of the board is like a really simple explanation that there's a little bit more nuance to the rules. But it's actually a really fun two-player board game strategy game that I think, you know, has some depth 
to it in a lot of ways. You know, there's it's like having you can get some really long term strategy um, to play out in this game. Uh, it was really funny. I have a fun story about this where my mom and I used to play this when I was very young um, and she would always beat me. Um, and one day we were With driving and domino move. Right. Sure. At the end. I, I, yeah, I mean, I just was a small child, but uh, one day we were driving in the car um, and this is after I kind of gotten into strategy games in my life. We're driving in the car on a road trip um, up to uh, to go river rafting. And um, she's playing on her phone and she can't beat it on her phone on the hardest difficulty. She just, like, can't beat this computer. And I take her phone and I... I, uh, I I told her, oh, I told her, I said, I always play that on my phone all the time. I'm, like, pretty good at it now. And she's like, well, you can't beat the hard, computer on hard. And so I, she set her computer on hard, started the game for me, because she didn't believe me. She thought I would cheat. And then I, like, got almost a perfect board on the hardest, <laughs> the hardest mode. So, I mean, it's did just a game. Did she chalk it up to beginner's luck? No, because I did it three more times. <laughs> they, it's It's a really fun game that, like, you know, you can play on your phone, like, by yourself to practice, um, and to, to, and also, like, it is a strategy game that you can play with, with one other person that's really enjoyable, I found. Um, it's definitely one of those games that sits in that sweet spot of, it's got a really simple uh, gameplay oh, yeah. and rules to learn with a lot of hidden strategy. Yes. Um, and one where, like, you really have to consider what your opponent's going to do next. And I tend to find those are like the perfect games to play with kids because they're abstract enough that they're um, them being new to strategy usually doesn't uh, put them that far behind because they can quickly catch up in that sphere yeah. um, and it's easy enough for them to learn. Um, and there's just a ton of replay value. Um, yeah, and also, game. like, when you're teaching a game like that, too, like with Othello, you can choose how bad you're going to beat your opponent if you have, like a pretty major skill gap. Um, and that's, I mean, just like Magic the Gathering, that's actually a good thing, right? Like, I can obliterate you in a game of Magic the Gathering if you're in, if you're brand new. Uh, but and we can do it in the most unfun way possible. Yeah, exactly. So but I can also make it so that we both have, you know, some 7-7s seven in our deck for 7 mana and, and, and kind of go from there. So, uh, wow, that was a lot of jargon for people who don't play Magic the Gathering, and I'm so sorry. Uh but, but like, you know, Othello has that same kind of, okay, well, I can win this game without, you know, really trying to to obliterate this person, taking, you know, a couple less suboptimal moves to, you know, make, make the game enjoyable for somebody to learn. Yeah, it's also a game where, like, because of the literal nature of flipping back and forth, yeah, um, it's always possible to, um, like... The game feels like it's very swingy. There's a lot. Yeah, it is. It, it goes yeah. back and forward. Yeah. And if you also, on that note, it's also one of those games that I really think that you get the full experience by playing, like flipping over those pieces physically has so like, fun. yeah, They're it's so tactile. Yeah, exactly. It's you get this great tactile feeling that don't get me wrong. The visual appeal of watching those things flip on the computer or on your phone is really cool. But I do think with this one, you get the full experience when you're when you're playing the yeah, board you, game. Yeah, you'll love to go like flip, yeah. flip, 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 flip. Yeah, that's a good experience. Um, why do you think it's underrated? Because how many people have you heard utter the words Othello in the last, you know, 15 years of your life? About as often as like checkers has come up in my experience. Backgammon. 
oh man, I hear backgammon and checkers and chess just way more, and I think that it's on well, level. Chess is a whole different degree. Yeah, but, yes. but I think it's on level. Like I think, I mean, I think it's a better game than backgammon or or checkers by like a pretty substantial margin. Yeah, I think its only weakness, um, in that regard, is it is still technically an IP for the printing of physical copies of the game. That's true. That's I mean, that's why there's another version that's called something else, right? Yeah, but you you don't often see people possessing that. But my point is is that like anyone can produce a backgammon set, checker set, or right. chess set. It's true. Um, to produce something and put Othello on it, which I think is the more common knowledge, more commonly named one of it, means that there's just less of it being marketed out there. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, it's definitely a game that uh, if you're in, like if if you and your uh, you know, your partner or you and one of your friends have a, a cute, kind of a two-player game night and you like strategy games, I, I think it's a board game that, while I think is well-known to people, uh, mining your, and maybe even your age, West, I, I certainly think that some, maybe our younger listeners might have actually just never heard of or played this game. Absolutely. I think that, uh, there is, uh, if you are, you grew up during this golden age of board games the old simpler ones of a pastime are mostly cast aside because quite frankly a lot of them are not as good as new board games yeah and and like you know to to, to kind of speak to that a little bit i think that we also you know there's something there's so many board games to play now that it's actually kind of hard if you're like into board games to like be like okay well now I'm gonna play like this this really really old old board game that you know is is very basic you know there's just it's like it's another content problem there's just so much content out there for for great gaming yeah um, I agree uh, and there's a lot of games that are like it and go farther. Right. So maybe, and so like the really hardcore people will probably just stick on their Go or their chess or. I right. There's some sweet competitive Connect Four tournaments out there. <laughs> there might be. Um, Connect Four is a great game. I played a lot of it in my time. Do you want to snake this or do you want me to say my second one? Yeah, let's snake it because I also have a fantastic two-player game it can go more but uh one of its better modes is is a two-player game and it has what i think is a premium premium trait in board games these days which is it's cooperative okay Um, and that is the game hanabi hanabi is a um first it's a tiny box it's very portable which is uh, this was actually gonna make my list but i uh i think i saw it i i saw Something that made me not want it on my list. Um, like, it was on mine? No, because my, my list was posted first. In the show notes. I posted mine when you proposed the idea. Ah, there we but... go. That's that's what it was. Yeah, it was because it was on yours. That makes sense. Uh-huh. And so, Hanabi, for those who've never heard of it, it is a cooperative game where you are trying to put on a fireworks show, but all of your fireworks were delivered, mixed up, and unlabeled. Yeah. Um, and so it's an information game. So the basic premise of it is there are cards, and every card has a color and a number. And you get you start with a number of cards in your hand, and everyone else starts with cards in their hand. But because it is a game about information, you start not being able to see your own cards, and everyone else can see all of each other's cards. So the only information that's hidden from you is your own hand. 
I think that uh, it's important to know this game actually gets harder the more people that you play with. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also I think we should note this game is actually pretty hard. I, some of the I played this with some really smart people, um, and the game. The game just gets really difficult uh, for a lot of people, especially if you don't have like a predefined set of rules going into the game. I agree. It is a game where um, uh, it's a bit like Bridge. Um, uh, we're talking about board games, so I'm going to go deep. But uh, the this is the sort of game where you kind of want to agree upon some methods of communication and yeah. some uh, uh, just like basic win this do that sort of situations yeah um because the more predictable you play this game the easier it is to influence other people's decisions but basically you can spend your turns either telling your teammates about their hand playing cards that you hopefully know a lot about from your hand that matter or uh discarding cards to see new cards and there's a there's it's a game of constant tension um, every choice you make uh, uses a resource. Um, every piece of information you give means that you get to give fewer pieces of information in the future. Um, and there's always something that can go critically wrong. What percentage of the time would you say that you win this game, West? Well, if you count winning as getting exactly 25 points, I've never done it. Okay. I, I was going to say, deal. I don't know that I've ever ever done it either yeah um the game is much more about uh let's see how far we get and see if we can outdo ourselves in the past but i do consider any any game where we get into that 20s range to be pretty good yeah um, um but it's a game for where winning isn't so much the thing right because it's a cooperative game so it's a degree to which you succeed even though anytime the game ends without you having one per se feels a bit like a loss but it really is just about how far you get and I yeah. think it's just a great game because cooperative gameplay um, does so much for playing games, I think. Um, it means that it's less about this adversarial competitiveness yes. and more about making sure everyone is in it, having a good time, making the best choices they can. Yeah, I definitely think that one of the best parts about this game, um, and you know, most cooperative games, but I, I've noticed that really present in this game is that feeling of we all win. Like... Mm -hmm. Like, because, because, you know, I mean, I've played this game for, with wide ranges of personalities, um, but it always is a good time. Like, as long as you all have, you know, the, the expectation that, you know, you're not, you're not going to win. I, I typically find that, like, the game, you know, encourages communication, which by itself will just make you happier to be around each other. Yeah, it's interesting because the major mechanic of the game is limiting communication and limiting knowledge. So it's yeah. about how efficiently you use it to communicate. I can easily envision it being the sort of game that's like great for like uh, a small work team in some like relaxation time together to build their bond and ability to communicate better and that sort of thing. You could probably learn a lot about people just from playing this game. Yeah. I think this game's a ton of fun and I'm, I'm glad it made your list. Um, yeah, and so for, the reason I think it's underrated is I think that at this point, it, I, I feel like it has a, cert, a specific goal of the board games market thoroughly cornered, which is any game that you can just throw in your backpack without adding really any extra. That's my um, next game, too. 
weight or attention uh, is really, really good for um, being able to play more games. And this one is cooperative, which a lot of those games don't have. And it has the ability to go from two to five people, which is also a really good yeah. thing. So yes. this is the sort of game where if you like board games and you just want to be able to smoothly cause board games wherever you go, this game is a game for you. Yes, I, I love that. It's so funny. Uh, you know, this this game is like one of the definite. This is like what I call a PTQ game. Like mm. somebody has it in their backpack, and so you, you get to play, play it. Play it between rounds. You play it between rounds at PTQs, and those are really fun games. And you know, when you get a you know play a game for five to fifteen minutes and get some real enjoyment out of it, that's a that's like a and has a lot of replayability. That's just a sweet spot. And I agree, this game is underrated. Not enough people know about this game, and if you haven't played it. Have you found as board games get better, one of the things you're looking for in a board game is short? Um, it depends. That's that's kind of hard. Like, there are certainly board games that I enjoy that aren't short. Yeah, but, like, you'd always have to, like, know what you're getting yourself into before you approach, like, a new-aged Monopoly, right? Yeah, like, Mage Wars is an example of a game that, like, I absolutely love but it takes a very long time. Um, and, you know, that that's okay. But yeah, like you're saying, it, it certainly helps that the games are quick um, for me to, you know, be something that I do a lot of. With that, yeah, also, you just don't have four hours to yeah. play, like, a full game of Risk anymore. That's true. You know, even though I'm sure a lot of us wish we did. Yeah. Speaking of fast games that can fit in your backpack that you can play between PTQs, this is actually my PTQ game. This is actually my magic backpack is to the left of me, the backpack backpack that I take to magic events. And this game is actually in my backpack. It's called Flux. Um, Wes, I'm sure I've played Flux with you, right? Uh, I imagine as much. I've played a lot of Flux in my time. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't stick very much in my head anymore. Yeah. The game. So Flux is interesting in that... Uh, the games can be extremely fast. Like, like turn one fast. <laughs> yeah. Um, West, you're actually really good at explaining the, the previous game. Why don't you explain this one for us? Yeah. So flux is a, it's a card game. There is just a deck and a get. And the name of the game is changing the rules of the game. The game starts with just a very simple, like, on your turn, do this. So you, like, draw a card, play a card, basically. And then from there, uh, you shift what is happening in the game. Um, you maybe play a rule that changes how many cards people can play per turn or draw per turn. Maybe you play a rule that changes how people win the game. Um, and so the game is about... Uh, like making sure that the rule set best supports you and what you're trying to do and that you have access to ways to win the game whenever a win condition gets put into play. Yeah, it is. I, I think the thing that I love about this game is it also is swingy, kind of like we talked about, you know, with, with Othello. This game, multiplayer, um, It I, I would almost say that this is a party game for me. Like, this is a game that I think you could easily pull out at parties with quite a few people and have a really good time. Um, you know, you just have a table of four people playing this game constantly all night. Real easy, I think. Yeah, and 
I think that because it's so simple and quick, anyone can pick it up without, like, you can just say, sit down. Sit oh, down yes. and draw some cards. I have done that. I've literally uh-huh. had... I'll explain nothing about yes. this game. Yes. Sit down and draw some cards. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, uh, it, and you could, you could attach writers to it. You could really make your own cards to it. It's got lots of themed additions to it, which yeah. are a bit of a, a bit of a grab. But if it gets someone to buy the first set because it's of an interesting theme, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, with slight rules changes. It, it's just, it's a really solid, like it's, um, it's super simple. Like I think it's, it's easy to underrate just because it's pretty early of a game. You might learn if you're getting involved in board games or around people who play a lot of games and it's, but like, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, I've played Batman Flux and regular Flux, and I think that's it. But, you know, both fun experiences. Yeah. Uh, I think that this game is underrated uh, in, a, in a couple ways. Like, you know, this I think both of my games are pretty simple games. Like, I don't know that anybody would say that there's... I think that once you understand how to play Flux, you, you know, you can play Flux. Yeah. Uh, because the, there's so much variance to each individual game, it's kind of hard to develop any sort of long-term strategy when playing it. But no, the long-term strategy is understand the situation best as possible and try and figure <laughs> out what advantages you hear. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, it, this one's just one out of pure enjoyment. Uh, I, I think that, you know, if you if you have a family game night, uh, this is definitely one that you should have available. To it's like a warm-up almost. Yeah, exactly. You just want to get used to the idea of, like, taking turns and reading your cards or whatever. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good one for that. Uh, snaking back to you, what is your second game in this category? Yeah, so my second game in this category is a departure from the other ones in that it can't be played with just a few people, and it isn't quick, and it's not simple. It is Sheriff of Nottingham. And Spencer, have you ever played this game? I have not. I've never heard of it. Okay, it's good. Then I get to introduce it to you and many of our listeners, I'm sure. But Sheriff of Nottingham is a deception game. Um, and so what happens is you are all merchants. Everyone's goal is to make money. And you make money by bringing goods into town to sell at the market. And every time you come into town, you have to pass a, um, a sheriff, someone who is checking to make sure no contraband is being brought in, nothing illegal. And your job is to lie to that sheriff as best you can to get them to approve your contra- your what you're bringing to market. And you, br- you say like, I'm just bringing some lowly apples to market. Please don't check. I'll give you some money if you don't check. Like it's about being these, it's about this like corrupt relationship between the sheriff, which rotates every round a different player gets to be the sheriff. So they get to have, everyone gets a chance to, be the um, person trying to figure it out. Um, and basically it's one of those games where I, I can't really get into the full rules of it because again, it's definitely like a, you have to sit down, have someone read the rules or watch a video, which by the way, if you don't know this hack for board games yet, every time you get a new board game and you want to know how it works, watch a video where someone explains it first. It could take five, 10 minutes of your time and it can save you a whole lot of frustration from reading a rule book. And I can rules anyone and i still would rather watch a movie every time or watch a video every time yeah hey, that, that's a really good hack 
this this is the category of games I like to call the mafia games, like mafia yes. style games. Um, it's kind of a party game, but it's like it's a it's, I think that most people call it like a deception game. Yep. So, um, but yeah, basically you have a variety of goods that you could bring to market, some of which give you a lot of money and are legal and some of which don't give you very much money and are cheap and are super legal. And your goal is to try and deceive your way to be the richest player. And it's just one of those games where silly things happen. Is it, are the game pieces like cards? Do you like draw a card to know what you're taking in? Yeah, yeah. So you draw cards that are your... Um, so you have a randomized set of things to bring to market. Okay. And you keep those hidden until it's time to sell. And then if you sell them, you keep the card? Uh, yeah, it, it's like victory points of sorts. Okay, cool. Um, and so, yeah, it's basically... But it's just like if you're looking for the experience where a game is derailed because everyone is laughing too hard... Nice. This is a game that will be fun for you. Awesome. Um, you you want to play it with like a group of people who know a bit about games, a bit about bluffing. Like if you've got a poker group, this is like the perfect game for them to sure. have a more relaxed night. Awesome. Yeah, that's definitely one that I'll check out, you know, post-COVID. <laughs> yeah, and I just think it's underrated because like it's the sort of game that doesn't look like it's much. Sure. But it can be a really fun experience. Not a lot of people know about it. Um, and as far as games that rely on you talking a lot to get what you need done, this is one of the best. Like if you think that you're, uh, to jump into tabletop role-playing games, if you think that your, uh, bluff deception persuasion types of roles are really good, this is a good game for you. Awesome. Let's, let's slide over into video games and I will go first. I've actually done a review on this YouTube channel about this game. It is our most watched video on this YouTube channel. Uh, I don't know what happened, West. I, like, came back to my computer one day, and there were, like, a ton of comments on this video. Uh, still, every week is one of the most viewed, uh, you know, videos on this channel, and that is the game Zoid's Legacy. Okay. I don't know anything about this game, Spencer, so... Oh my gosh. Give it to me. West, do you like Pokemon? You know it. Do you like anime? Wait. Is this a trap? No. Yeah. Do you I like, like, like turn-based RPGs? Uh, yeah. Do you like uh, strategy turn-based RPGs? Okay, so you're clearly selling to exactly me as a consumer. Okay, what are you selling? So this game uh, is pretty sweet. It takes the Zoids universe um, and it expands it. So for those who don't know, Zoids is an anime uh, where, you know, there are these creatures, these mechanical living creatures called Zoids, and you can ride inside of them. Uh, they're really machines. I don't actually know the, the story behind how they're, you know, so, you know, animalistic. But uh, it's an anime I, that you probably might have watched as a kid. And this game is amazing. It is it is in my top three, if not more better, if it not just number one, favorite Game Boy Advance games, period. Uh, you collect pieces to build new Zoids as you gather the information for them, just like you know, completing a Pokedex the same the same way. 
uh, into a turn-based RPG where you can upgrade your weapons, upgrade your zoids, all while following the story of a net new character while bringing in characters from every single version of the anime. Hmm. Uh, and uh, having one cohesive story throughout. And it is a thing of complete beauty. So. I mean, it's made in the game... It's Game Boy Advance. How could it not be the most beautiful thing ever? Yeah, I, well, it's not beautiful in that way. I, I get nostalgic real. just looking at, like, anything in the Game Boy Advance. Uh, you love those setup. pixels? Yeah, you're just like, yeah. Oh, man. The, the fonts. Oh. oh, man. Dude, this is the game for you, West. I, I, I Googled it, and I'm just looking at images. and boy, That's why you said the fonts, because uh... you saw that font, and you were like, yes. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it is, it is certainly one for the ages, uh, if you like. And the, the best part about this game, in my opinion, is, like, you don't have to have watched Zoids to enjoy the game. But if you have watched Zoids, it makes the game all the better. Because the main character is not in the anime. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have these characters that come in and out that are side characters from the animes, but you as the main protagonist do not appear in any of the anime. Which is nice, so that way the plot line doesn't have to have any overlap. Yeah, it's kind of Kingdom Hearts-esque, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if you haven't watched that video, I actually did a full review of that here on the YouTube channel. I'll leave a link to that in the description so that you can check it out. But legitimately, this is actually just one of my favorite games of all time. And people who love RPGs don't know about it, and they should definitely play it. Yeah, it sounds like a perfect underrated pick. <laughs> what about you, Wes? What is your first video game? Oh, my um, my first video game I want to talk about today is not an individual game. It's more of a series because I think on the whole, the series is underrated and anywhere you start is a good place. But I want to talk about the Pokemon Mystery Dungeon franchise. So we've heard you talk about that before. Yeah. So I have to bring something new. Well, you don't have to. I'm just curious, like. Do you think so? Like, there's a couple of Pokemon spinoffs, and I've always wanted to ask you what separates Pokemon Mystery Dungeon from, you know, Pokemon Ranger or Pokemon Stadium or Pokemon Coliseum, or even, you know, the new thing that's making a comeback. We obviously saw, you know, po Mystery Dungeon come to the Switch. Like, Pokemon Snap. Like, what sep Pokemon Snap is now coming? What separates out Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, and why is it so underrated as a as a spinoff? Um, so I think one important detail that separates out Pokemon Mystery Dungeon is it's Pokemon Central. Every other Pokemon game, including the main series, it's through this lens of how humanity views Pokemon. Whether it's for friendship, for fighting, to take photos, to take care of, right? Um, in this case, you are often a human transformed into a Pokemon for some reason. I, I don't think the story it really needs that, but it's there. Um, but you play as a Pokemon, your partner is a Pokemon, and every character in the entire game is a Pokemon. And so I think that that alone gives it something pretty unique, which is the world is just so vibrant because every character is a Pokemon. And that can tell you a lot about who they are as people, but it often doesn't tell you the whole story. Because the other thing that these games have really going for them is their stories and characters are really substantive. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point. Uh, I would say this. I would say that if Pokemon Mystery Dungeon was released somehow at the exact same time as the, the you know, the mainline Pokemon Red and, you know, uh, I think it was Red and Green at the time. Like, let's mm -hmm. say that in some universe they were released the same day. I don't know that 
we could have decided which was the main game of the franchise and which was the spinoff. That's how good and in-depth the story is for the, the dungeon games. And, like, you know, I, I think that that speaks volumes of, of a spinoff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so some just little core differences that are out there. Um, as a game, it is turn-based, but it's not very, um, like, one-on-one. Um, because you're in this uh, two-dimensional dungeon map and there are Pokemon maybe coming at you from all sides and you've got a partner helping you. Um, the gameplay is a bit slow. Yes. Um, if you're, especially if you're just starting out, um, it can seem like it takes a little while to get from story point to story point. All I'm saying, West, and I would never recommend anyone emulate any game ever, but I hear emulations have a fast-forward feature uh, which could make a game like this more bearable, but I would never recommend emulation to anyone. Yeah, so this is definitely a game that you're going to want to like commit a real effort to, and you're going to need to get a ways in before it's fun. Um, it's one of the reasons it is underrated historically is that it is chronically under-critiqued, because very rarely do critics play enough of the game to get to the parts where the story pays off. Yeah. So their reviews often don't feature that understanding. Um, it has an avid fan community. Um, it's got amazing, incredible music. Um, that it, anyone who's played the games, like it will, is just an immediate throwback. Like any song from that will do more for me than the Lavender, Lavender Town music of Red, Blue, Yellow, which is saying something for anyone who knows that. Um, getting goosebumps just thinking about Pokemon music. Um, and... Uh, if you're looking for places to start in this franchise, you're in luck because they just released a remake of the original Pokemon Rescue Team series in Pokemon Rescue Team DX on uh, the Switch, which is awesome. But if you are able to do a bit of digging, the best Pokemon Mystery Dungeon has to offer, you should go seeking out a copy of Pokemon Explorers either Explorers of Time, Explorers of Darkness, or Explorers of Sky, with Sky being sort of the, like, yellow crystal emerald platinum, uh, just a strict upgrade with lots of new features. And are those um, on the DS or the 3DS? They're for the Nintendo DS. Okay. And those games are just phenomenal. Awesome. Um, it's got a really good setting. It's got... You're part of a guild, and there's really good characters in that guild who help you out and... It's just an amazing story, but if you're just looking for a place to enter, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon uh, Rescue Team DX is a lovely place to enter. It's got the original storyline that was fantastic. Oh, that art, from though. the original games. An incredible upgrade to the art, incredible gameplay smoothing. Yeah, um, and there's a free a demo. Faster. There's a free demo that That's transfers true. over. So if you enjoy the demo, I believe your save file just goes over when you buy the game. Um, I, and... Uh, West, maybe we'll actually do a review of the demo together. That actually sounds Ooh, that'd be fun. really fun. Definitely something we should check out. Where we just uh, play through it together and talk about it. Oh, yeah, we could totally that. stream the demo, too. Uh, anyway, what I would agree with you that this is completely underrated. Um, you know, I, there was a lot of excitement on Twitter when the DX game was announced. And that was really cool for me to see because I felt like... Mystery Dungeon was just this really enjoyable experience for me that I had not really talked to a lot of people about. So seeing that kind of the positive response to the re-release was really cool for me. 
Um, which is interesting because I did have a lot of conversations around Pokemon Snap, but I'm not sure why there was a, a huge difference. Yeah, I'd sort of found my way into some of the Twitter communities for that, even by the time the um, the re-release was announced. Um, that said, the game had one issue, which was that it came out at the exact same time as Animal Crossing. Yes, that is that is true. Hurts any release that has a similar amount of hours it demands to you as Animal Crossing, because that Animal Crossing game has, boy, is it taken off. Yeah, that my my wife really enjoys that game. Um, uh, and we were supposed to share the cartridge, and I just never get a play. So, mm-hmm. so, uh, yeah, I I think that that's a really really good one for the underrated list. My next one, um, I I almost want to do a video on this on how like. I did a video this week on the top Nintendo 64 games that I would want a remake of West, like just straight up, like, you know, from the ground up, if I, I want you to remake this, put it on the switch with new engine, you know, more content, things like that. And yep. I think that I would feel the exact same about this game for the Xbox. Um, or the, I might've even been on PlayStation. I'm not sure, but star Wars Republic commando, uh, you know me, I can't make a list without having a star Wars thing on it. But Star Wars, <laughs> Star Wars Republic Commando is uh, a work of art. Have you ever played this game, West? No. Okay. So uh, th- this is part of a really amazing era of, of Star Wars content. Star Wars Republic Commando is a game where you play... Um, as a commando with a group of other commandos to solve missions in the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. And it has a story through the Clone Wars um, that is just one of complete brilliance. Uh, it looks it, a lot like Halo brought over into the Star Wars universe. It is kind of like that. Um, the, the, it is... I mean, it was definitely Star Wars' answer to Halo in a lot of ways. You have uh, this gun that you can put different attachments on to have different styles of guns as a commando. You've got kind of a melee system, but it is a uh, first-person shooter um, with a really, really amazing campaign. Uh, And this is one that 100%, if they made it, remade this game, I would buy it in an instant. Uh, I enjoyed this more than Halo. Uh, personally, I know that mm-hmm. that's blasphemy, but you know, I, this game was my favorite first person shooter on the Xbox. Um, regardless of, I'm sure that somebody's going to tell me how it was competitive, clunky competitively or something, or maybe there was like broken guns or something. But for me, like this, just the story itself and, you know, all of my memories are playing this with my little brothers on mul- and my cousins on multiplayer. It is mm-hmm. just one that I don't hear enough people talk about fondly in their star wars game memories and i just think it's a knockout of the park in an a plus yeah um to be honest for a 2005 era console game uh a a fun campaign was all you could ask for because anything beyond that was gravy right and if you had fun playing multiplayer with it then it doesn't matter if it was clunky competitively in fact this is from an era where clunky competitively doesn't even really have meaning because I challenge you to find a 2005 era game that works as it should in an online format. Yeah, exactly. This this game is certainly one that if you have not played, um, you know, one of the reasons I want to remake for it is I would love it to be canon again. Like, I would love them to fit these characters into canon again. 
um, in some way. I mean, they have the new Star Wars uh, TV show coming out called the the Bad Batch. I mean, just remake this game with the Bad Batch instead. That sounds just as fun to me. <laughs> like, you know, it, it would be really cool to see something like that and to uh, get this a story like this uh, again. But mm -hmm. how do the um, non-force wielding commandos? How do they interact with force users over the course of the game? Oh man, I haven't played. I actually have this game, but I haven't. I don't think it works on my Xbox One, so I haven't mm -hmm. played it. Uh, oh, you know what? Maybe it does. I don't remember. I will leave that in the show notes. If it does work, I will. I will say that. But I. I don't remember interacting. The last time that I played this, I think I only played through Geonosis, and I don't think you interact with any Force users on it. Hmm. So. Just an interesting question because I think that one of the. Like, any Star Wars game, right, has this, like, X factor where their treatment of Force matters a lot because the way that the movies portray having access to the Force is incomplete to the overall Star Wars world. Right. And basically just makes any of those characters much more powerful and useful in a video game setting than any character should be. Yeah, I... I... I can't remember how these guys interact with it. I mean, it, it's interesting, right? Because, I mean, you kind of look at, like, the... I, I never played ODST, but I would assume it has similar, like, difference of feel to playing something like Halo, where you're no longer this super soldier, and you're, like, this normal person uh, in within this franchise. And for me, like, I think that there was some kind of coolness about being just this Republic this group of Republic commandos that are trying to do their part. I don't know. It was really cool. In a sense, it's like, uh, um, it's putting into practice the idea that the world of star Wars is compelling far beyond the Jedi. Oh yeah. I mean, a lot of my favorite, you know, star Wars things don't always involve Jedi. And I think yeah. that, uh, if you look at like the new canon, uh, Lost Stars is one of the most popular, and Battlefront 2, the book, are two of the most popular books to come out since the new stuff, and those are all about stormtroopers that, mm -hmm. like, that are impacted in some way by the destruction of the Death Star. Yeah, stormtroopers and clones are definitely characters that never get a story fully told about them in the movies. Not, not truly. No, because they're their props in the film. Their red shirts. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, giving giving them depth is really cool. So what is your second video game? So my second video game is a concession concession to newness. But you, you uh, actually this was a game that uh, when it was spoiled, you were actually doing this podcast with Michael and Mason and I about it, yes. and you were super hyped. And it's a sweet one. Um, this game is Wargroove, and it is a turn-based tactical uh, strategy game. Um, and it's in the vein of Fire Emblem and Advanced Wars. Yes. Um, and it, it's more... And it honestly is a really good blend of the two, because it takes the setting of Fire Emblem, this, um, you know, fantasy world of uh, knights and mages and your more traditional fantasy setting and then combines it with what Advanced Wars has going with it, which is you're not fighting with 
characters that mean everything to you who if they die your your world ends sort of um and means you get to think a little bit more about sacrificing in strategy where you wouldn't in fire emblem but basically you are um it's uh basically you versus an enemy or some number of enemies maybe with an ally up to four players and you're summoning recruiting troops across three different types of battlefield whether it's air water or land and you're going to town against an enemy who's doing the same is that you have a commander who's in the field and usually your best unit yeah um and so you have to figure out how to keep them safe because you lose if they die but also use them to the best advantage um every unit has unique abilities um that rewards you planning around them and have certain synergies um and it's it's just generally this like really like fun smooth gameplay experience it's got a fun to play campaign i was just going back trying to perfect score some uh early campaign events the other night why you do um, this to me why you do you want to play games no i just don't own it and now i'm gonna buy it because i haven't played it and mm. now i'm gonna buy it Wes. Look, look what you're doing to my wallet man i don't know um that's how it goes you did a good uh, job of selling it like yeah like legitimately so do the commanders do the commanders that you play sorry to ask questions because now i'm interested please <laughs> so do the commanders that you played as the story does the campaign follow the commanders specifically and are the rest pawns or do the other characters like in fire emblem have stories so every major character in the game is a commander at one point in time or the other okay so you might have a different commander from battle to battle yeah, yeah. So you, oh. within your same faction, right? Um, you're you start off as a like a, a young coming of age warrior uh, princess, basically, and you're starting off with her story. And but you know, sometimes your mentor steps in and takes a fight. Uh, one of the best characters in the entire series is a dog um who goes to battle and does cool battle things and by that i mean just stands there looking cool while his two guards with crossbows fire at things um but the the other factions you encounter are pretty compelling and have different storylines um everyone's got their own unique abilities um i also like that it's um because it's just one game, it didn't have this pressure that later Advanced Wars game had where they needed to expand the degree of units that you can purchase to a large degree. Everything's pretty contained within just a few, um, within a couple thousand gold, earning a hundred from a, uh, a city instead of a thousand like in Advanced Wars. The numbers are smaller. That's a big advantage. Um, but What makes it underrated? I, I just don't hear conversation about it. Sure. Um, I think that um, it would have, if it had, it's a, it's an homage to the Advanced Wars series without having its name on it. And I think it struggles there because anyone who loved Advanced Wars games would love it, but don't necessarily hear about it because it doesn't have the same name. Sure. Um, it, it's, it's interesting, right? Because like, we already know that this, these games are beloved. One of the games that almost made my list was actually Three Houses. I was actually going to put Three Houses on my list. Because I was like, I don't hear people talk about it enough. But then I looked it up, and it won Best Strategy Game of the Year last year. And I was like, well, okay. Well, I can't put it on my list. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe we it's move my... on very fast in video game discourse. What's <laughs> true? As we really people. do. I mean, the, and it's crazy too, because like, and the, this is one of my questions for this game. Like, it, it, so how mu- how much is this game? Is this a sixty dollars game or like a forty dollars game? No, oh no, no, this is a twenty dollars indie game for sure. Oh, okay. I mean, that by itself gives this like it puts it on like a different level too, right? Where yeah, this is comparison to Stardew Valley, Slay the Spire, sure those games my wallet doesn't feel as bad now i was worried i was about to pop off 60 bucks but i can drop a i can i can drop a disgraced president on this one uh another thing is this game is on steam so if you don't own a switch it's still pretty playable yeah Um, i I don't i wonder if it'll be on the um the the ultimate game pass soon i this is something i was looking at while you were talking but it looks like it's on uh xbox one and windows as, oh. And Microsoft Windows. So because of that, if it gets put onto Game Pass, you can actually play it on your computer and on your Xbox uh, with uh, with your Xbox controller or on your keyboard, however you want to play it, just by getting Game Pass. So I might wait and see if it comes on there rather mm-hmm. than buy it. I was going to look it up after the podcast, but it's, it's interesting to note that it is available on those, so it could come to Game Pass. Yeah, I, I think it's... Um... It's really just a sweet game. I think that it does a really good job of matching a Fire Emblem game in, like, setting, tone, and gameplay. Yeah. And then it's lighter by not being a $60 release. Um, yeah. It makes faster me... Faster to play through. And if you didn't like Three Houses uh, and its, like, downtime activities or how much work you could actually put into this. I was going to say, could put in. You didn't have to do You could have battled no, no, the you entire game. You could definitely game. just skip right through it, but that always feels like leaving money on the table, especially when you want those sweet, sweet relationship conversations. Sure. You know, it's, it's funny, because like, a game like this, uh, you've definitely sold me on it. I, I think that I'll just purchase it on my Switch, because I really like to support any indie developer that will put their game on the Switch for 20 bucks. I think that, like, you know, it's almost like your duty as a Switch owner, if you enjoy the game, to do it, just so that, like... You know, you get you see more of those yeah, games in the future. exactly, and so it, it's definitely one that I'll check out. And I, I agree. Uh, you were the first person I heard talk about this, and I think since then I heard maybe two people talk about this game. And you know, it, it's it it's you. We have to we have to like realize that we can't complain about sixty dollar, soon to be seventy dollar big budget games if we're not willing to support those. Those that de- cost less. Yeah, those that cost less that are that are trying to give you a really fun experience. So. Oh, totally. Um, something that I didn't even mention is that the content depth on this game is near infinite because it has a campaign and cutscene editor that can be then shared online. Nice, nice. Hey, uh, so the last thing is party games. I think we've mentioned some party games, but I really feel like if we're going to do like underrated games and... E- you know, you have to really give it to the people that enjoy party games, you know, and I, I tried really hard on this because party games are really beloved West. Absolutely. Like people love party games. And so it's hard to find some that are underrated because if one's fun, typically everyone plays it. And here's the thing. Uh, I know that mine are going to be considered not underrated by some, and that's okay. In fact, I believe that one of them will be considered overrated. But um, 
I think that plays into one aspect of underrating, which is that it is possible for one thing to be significantly better and known as significantly better by a community and another thing to be much worse in their opinion and have the better things still be underrated and the lower things still be overrated. Absolutely. And here's the thing for me is the the first game I'm going to bring up is Quiplash. So this is from Jackbox Games. Um... And you can get it on your Switch. You can get it on your Xbox. I mean, you can you can get this game pretty easily. Uh, but it is a game that one of the coolest things that I find about this game, and the reason that I really wanted to talk about it this week while we're all... St- I mean, it, not all of us, because we have listeners across the world right now, which is crazy to say already on this podcast. But for those of us in the U.S., we are still dealing with, uh, you know, pretty pretty intense cases of COVID-19. Um, and you know, it's a good thing we're not in a monetized West cause YouTube would have just struck that monetization right now. But, uh, you know, the thing is, is that this is a game that you, if you had family game night before and you have a large family like me, I can put, I can play Quiplash and then we can get on a zoom call and everyone can play from the, their home on their phones. And that is sweet. Like that is something yeah. that. Like, what other party game will let you do that right now uh, that is so accessible like Quiplash is? And I would describe Quiplash as kind of like in that apples-to-apples, uh, you know, Cards Against Humanity vein. Um, it, it takes user input. Yeah. User input is a is a critical cornerstone of the party game genre, in my opinion, because otherwise it is just doing things together. Yeah. And so for, for that reason, like, I really think that it's not a game that people know that that they can do and continue to put the you know the health of those around them, you know, at you know do the best that you can for other people right now during these times. And Quiplash is actually a really great way uh, to do that right now, and something that I highly recommend if you're trying to do some kind of social distance game night where you like to play party games with your family or your friends. Check this one out. It, it's it is really fun. I actually enjoy this game more than Apples to Apple and Cards for what it's worth, West. I actually just think it's more fun. I think this game is substantially better than either. Um, partly because Apples to Apples uh, plays it too safe and Cards Against Humanity wants you to only make jokes that hurt. Um, yeah, they're both on the kind of these extremes, whereas this game is... Well, so the beauty of this game is that there is almost nothing that get said in the game or is a part of the game that isn't written by someone who is playing it. Yes. Yep. Um, and that's, I think just really, really good for making sure that it's exactly what your group wants. Yes. because Everyone is putting something in all the time. And if you do have one person who's like going blue in a way that you really don't want or whose ideas are really abstract, you can talk to them. You can yeah. solve that. Yeah. Um, and if you're not, and in general, I think that Jackbox game bundles are great really value. fun, and you should play all those games. Great value. If you have not yet this quarantine played Jackbox games with your friends, you're probably leaving money on the table. Yeah. Um, because they're just super fun. Yeah, we should we should totally. I would love to do one with uh, with you and Casey and, and Sarah and Devin. I think that that would be like a a really good time. And I don't know. I think that like. This is certainly one that I would say is a party game that you can play right now and be really, really happy with uh, spending your time doing it during quarantine, like Wes is saying. Wes, you have uh, 
one that we might argue about. So give me your first one. Um, so the, the first game I'm going to talk about is uh, Ultimate One Night Werewolf. Talk to me. About. What is, is what is Werewolf? So Werewolf is a mafia style game. It is a deception game. And uh, normally Werewolf is a bigger thing where you'll go through the cycle of everyone goes to sleep for the night and things happen during the night and everyone wakes up and stuff happens and you resolve that. Normally you'll go through that cycle multiple times in a game. In this game, it all just happens in one night and has lots going on. Um, one of the things I really like about this game is it theoretically does not require you to own anything because it has a free app that you can download to your phone to run the audio parts of it. And you can use a deck of cards to, uh, you can write on a deck of cards or any other way you want to make the tokens you would use to play the game um, so that you can figure it out. It is limited in that it's not a party game that could work over a digital interface because it requires physical manipulation of some of the pieces. Well, you can play Werewolf Online. I'm sure you can. I'm sure there are ways to do it, but this specific version, Ultimate One Night Werewolf. Oh, I see. This specific version. So maybe... I don't believe has a way to do it online. Okay. So here we go. Maybe, I... then maybe I'm ignorant. No, here's the thing is I didn't realize there was a difference between Werewolf and Ultimate One Night Werewolf. So yes. the things that I was about to disagree with you on, already you've solved one of them, which was that this costs money. Because I hate it when people spend money on Werewolf. I'm like, you know that this game is like you know, a party game that you need actually nothing to play. Um, mm -hmm. So th this is a really good pitch and one that I haven't checked out before. And if it's substantially different from just the game Mafia, where Werewolf is not and it always has bugged me, uh, I might check that out. Yeah, so Ultimate One Night Werewolf is is a distillation of that genre. Okay. To the, like, core ideas of it. Someone dies in the night. Sure. Um, but it's not even really like that. It's not even that someone dies in the night, actually. Um, werewolf, no one's actually killed in the in the first round. Um, and it, it's about information gathering and talking about the information you have gathered. But I do think that as a genre overall, um, Mafia and Werewolf is really cool. I've actually even seen the simplest, purest version of this, which is that uh, for however many people there are playing, uh, you give out some X's, a smaller number, and a bunch of O's. So there's this bigger group that's the positive group, and then there's the smaller group that's the negative group. And then there is no rule other than that people can call a vote and to vote people off the island. And it's just that. You just argue about it from there, and it's just about throwing any rules in it. But I do think that Ultimate One Night Werewolf has this strategic value that's really good. And there's a lot of game actions that the way you lie about that game action can get you a lot of information to the point of, I have a, I have a good story about this game, which is that one of my summers at summer camp, I was starting to become interested in another staff member and we were on a day off and we played this game, her and her group of friends and some other people that were staying at the house that night. Um, and in that game playing, I had like such a savage outplay of everyone where like, and, and they, they just taught me the game. I hadn't, I hadn't sure. played the game before at all. And like, I lied about having done something with my role to make someone else confess that they had done something that like, so that 
now the other person was the werewolf, but it was actually still them. Nice. Um, and her friends were so impressed by that play alone. They were like, yes, he's cool. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, awesome. I will I will check this one out. If it's all at once, that actually sounds like a quicker version of a game that I already like. So, uh, Yeah, you I, can play a lot of rounds of this one without it getting boring or whatever. All right. I'm going to pitch you the one that I think everybody's going to tell me is overrated, West, for party games. And that's Rock Band. So here's the thing. This might shock people, but I actually think Rock Band is one of the greatest party games of all time. For a lot of reasons. One, everybody already likes karaoke. Two, you it's a cooperative guitar hero. It's a cooperative guitar hero. Like, just think about that for a second. You can be as great or as bad as you want, and this game is still fun. And everyone... Also, everybody can try and be doing different things, right? Mm -hmm. On the, like, rock band that has the most number of people that can play at the same time, what is the number of people? I think it's four. Okay, so that challenges the idea of party games to some extent, right? Yeah, I mean, in some ways, but, like, how... But everyone can switch on rock band, right? Like, you yeah. could have teams of rock band, and I've done this, where, like, a team of four... Battle of the bands? Yeah, exactly. You do, like, a battle of the band style thing so I, I would still say that this is a party game like how how much mario party have you actually played with more than four people uh i have played um lots of party games with more than four people Mar mario party oh uh i'm not sure i would even count mario party as a true party game so what? uh but but the version on the uh, the version for the wii could have eight people playing and i definitely maxed that out that that is also true for the Switch, for what it's worth. I, I I'm just saying, like you can you can make this a party game. Anyway, you, you, don't gatekeep my pick here, West. Come on. Anyway, uh, the 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 fact that like I can be trying to get like a perfect score on the guitar while also just having fun with my friends is this really cool dynamic. Um, you know, that, that's really cool. You know, you have a bass, you have a guitar, you have a drummer, you have a singer. Let's freaking go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I played, I played three on three where you have like a bass player. That's the singer. And like with a mic stand, like we had a, we had a friend that had a basement. This was uh with, with guitar hero. Um, and they had in their basement, they had the mic stands for the guitar hero mics. And then you could you could play three v three to try and get high scores. It was really fun. That is exciting. I, I think that um, uh, this genre is a sweet game. Don't get me wrong. I I am I myself am very rhythmically challenged though. So these sorts of games have al always let me get my feet tangled. Sure. Um, yeah. I was never great at any of them. I just think that like, you know, I I think that the rock band craze, the guitar hero thing happened. Then Rock Band came out, and like it felt like people got sick of it. But mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel like we should bust out Rock Band more. <laughs> I was gonna say that is a challenge. I think Rock Band might be one of those things where like it, you have to push everyone in your party to make it happen. It's true. Like, you know, it doesn't it, just happen. Yeah, it, it's certainly not one that you can like just bust out. But that's my point. Is like, you know, if if you're having a night with your friends. Uh, you know, so often we lean towards, you know, different types of activities that maybe, you know, we could have just played Rock Band. That's all I'm saying. 
That's all I'm saying. Sure, 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 sure. Instead, at your birthday, you made us play a Smash Ultimate tournament when exactly like one other person really played Smash. Uh, yes, but I did get texts that people enjoyed that and thought it was funny and I, fun. I, I think it was fun, but yeah. you could have you could have had us doing Rock Band instead. Spend. I don't own Rock Band anymore. I sold it. Uh, but this is making me want to buy it again. Here's the thing: is it's really hard to want to buy Rock Band when I can't have people over to play Rock Band West. That's real. Um, and whereas your last party game uh, requires a uh, hundred dollars, is that fair to say worth of equipment? I have no idea how much Rock Band costs at this begin point. Begin to play it, especially if you want all the bells and whistles. The game I am presenting as my final underrated party game is possibly the truest, the simplest, the most known party game, and it's almost impossible to go wrong with it, and it's Pictionary. I don't like Pictionary. You don't like Pictionary? No, I. and it could be just, like, the people that I... I don't know. I'm just a really competitive person. Um, I, it also is probably because I just love Taboo so much and, like, the Taboo-style games. Mm-hmm. that Pictionary is, like, I don't know. It. I'm sure that for certain types of people, Pictionary is better than the games that I like. But it... Yeah, so Pictionary is an interesting one because it can take place over a vast variety of ways of doing it. I have played, I don't know, I've probably played five hours of Zoom Pictionary this summer in doing nice. calls with kids. Um, and Zoom even has a whiteboard feature right in it, so you can pull that right up and get to playing Pictionary. Um, but the thing that truly mean makes gives Pictionary like this warm space in my heart is that I have played it dozens of times with like my core group of high school friends in arcade modes on different games. Yes, <laughs> um, which is ridiculous. But like in StarCraft 2's arcade mode, we have played probably, I don't know, eight, ten hours of Pictionary together as a friend group just on that system alone. Right. Not like in person with a whiteboard, like in this game where you like it just runs it for you. And that's an interesting thing about Pictionary, which is that you can it usually does require someone to get up and run the game, whether it's to hand out what words people are supposed to draw from or um, generally make sure it keeps going, right? So you can either do it yourself and just communicating with your friends, but there are definitely sites out there that'll run it for you, basically, um, with different levels of control. Some things that I will give as just a person who's played a lot of Pictionary, um, nouns tend to work better than verbs. Um, for people guessing things, because it's hard to draw a thing happening and much easier to just draw the thing. Um, rain instead of raining. Um, and if you want to play a Pictionary, like play a lot of it with the same group of people because it's developing those in-jokes. It's those moments where someone like draws like two, like 10 seconds worth of drawing and everyone knows exactly what it is and they know the riff that just got put on it. What's the... Because you've... Oh, go ahead. We, for instance, a cannoli is a classic in my friend group, and it wouldn't be funny to anyone else. But for us, someone starts drawing a uh, a cylinder with filled-in ends. It's immediately a cannoli, and it's very easy points. And then so it's about like trying to take it further. Wait, how often do you get cannoli in Pictionary? 
um, using systems that let you enter your own words pretty frequently in my friend group. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so you're not playing like classic Pictionary. You're playing like spinoffs of Pictionary? Yeah, we're not playing where like, I recommend that what you do is if you're running this as your group of friends, like oh. have everyone write two or three, like say you're all in a room together and there's other ways of doing this. Um, and you're actually playing, I know, hard to imagine, but say that's how you're doing Pictionary. Um, have everyone, like, take what three year is pieces it? of paper and write down clues or things for people to draw and have them all put it in a hat and let people draw it out at random. Yeah. So that way um, it, it takes that group input part and it lets you kind of then make those jokes and add those layers um, because uh, everyone draws like a uh, top 500 nouns that you learn as a kid thing isn't very fun. Um, but like starting to develop to this point where like you're good at the signaling or like if it's a complex word, breaking it into pieces, like the Schrade style, right? Three words, first word, two syllables, ant man or whatever. I don't know. Um, but I recommend having it be user input. Um, that makes any type of game. I really think that Pictionary in terms of like being a thing to do that takes no preparation, that just requires something to draw on yeah. is a really low hanging fruit for enjoying each other's company. You've sold me on trying Pictionary again in a different way because most of the Pictionary I played is actually with the game Pictionary. Um, mm. And, and it, it sounds more fun when you're a little bit more in control of what what the options are. One, one thing that I will say, uh, one thing that I will ask is, what's the biggest group you've ever played Pictionary with? 10, 12, somewhere in there. But after which point it kind of breaks down in terms of, uh, like, the... Like, everyone getting a chance to participate and everyone doing that sort of thing. Um, and if it's hosted digitally in some way... Um, where when people type in their answers and it gets automatically marked as correct whenever they put it in, um, that does help things go smoother and lets you like go beyond the first person guessing it. Um, so if your friends, like if you all play Dota, if you all play sure. StarCraft still, if you all play some game that has an arcade section, maybe it's Warcraft 3, I don't know. Sure. Go looking for a Pictionary version in that, because I guarantee you'll just have some fun with it. Yeah, I, I'm definitely going to give this a retry in kind of a different way to play this game. I will say this. Uh, the biggest that I've ever played Pictionary was can, in a competition, and it was pretty close to, I think, 16 against 16. And those went fast. And the goal at the end of it was to... Uh, get the obviously get the most correct between the the two groups, and I think we played for 15 minutes, and I mean the score was I mean you could really get pretty far uh, playing that big, and I do think that this game has a special place that can uh, you know both have team building and uh, fun and you know it, it, it's certainly a good a good game for that while also being something that you can compete in, um, which is kind of weird for party games. Yeah, I, I do like that it can be silly and fun, but also, like, you can get pretty into it and get competitive and excited. And, like, 
that moment when everyone is just shouting with the top of their head as the person is drawing, I think is like actually just a really fun moment because that person's like, ah, are they getting the wrong idea? I've got to change this. Or like, my idea was wrong. Let me confuse them more. Let me start with the wrong part of the drawing. I think there's a lot of strategy that can be used as well. Yeah. Well, that is going to do it for this week, West. Um, you know, this was this was fun. I am glad that we kind of took a week off for intense reviews, but we did get a new review idea just from doing the podcast. We're gonna have to have to review the demo of of Mystery Dungeon DX. Um, I think that sounds like fun. Yes, uh, you can find me at Spencer Thirteen H. You can find West at East Monotone. You can find the podcast at Need to Nerd Pod. That's with a two, the number two, Need to Nerd Pod on Twitter. Uh, you can find He's a Game Media on Twitter at He's a Game Media. You, if you can hit that like button, hit that subscribe button here on the YouTube channel. It's a huge help. But also don't forget to rate and review wherever you're listening to your podcast. We see you podcast listeners. We really appreciate you. And thank you, everybody, so much for listening. We're going to say goodbye, West. Um, are you going to go watch Ash die again, see if you can shed a tear or two? Um, I'm going to definitely go work on my emotional availability in some degree or another directly after this. All right. Well, if you want to help Wes with that, leave a nice comment about him down below. And we'll see you guys all next time with another episode of Need to Nerd. Peace.